Hi, I'm Camila Peebles, and this is Real Charlotte Living, a podcast highlighting Charlotte area lifestyle, business, and real estate. On today's episode, we're talking about mortgages and the real estate market. There is a lot going on right now, a lot of disinformation, and we're here to set the record straight. Joining me today is Annika Lynn, Senior Loan Officer with Movement Mortgage for eight years. Annika is listed in the top 1% of lenders in the country and the top 50 in South Carolina. Annika is passionate about teaching people the game of money so that the house that they purchase becomes the cornerstone of a strong and growing financial portfolio. Annika, welcome to Real Charlotte Living. Thank you, Camille. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad to have you. For those of you just joining for the first time, Annika was actually one of my first guests in season one where she talks about the game of money. So I do recommend that you go back and listen to that episode because there's a ton of powerful information that Annika shares. So I'm glad to have her back um, this season to break a few things down for us. So happy to be here. So Annika, I wanted to start with, um, you know, there's so much going on with, um, I don't know if the proper word is, uh, what is it, volatility Mm -hmm. in the market and interest rates. So let's start with a conversation, I can't talk today. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with a conversation about stocks and bonds and how the market affects mortgage rates. That sounds great. Can I back it up one quick step? Yep. Because I'm going to hit on that in a, in a second, but I wanted to kind of give a little tiny history lesson. Okay. Okay. You know how much like I love history. math. <laughs> no, I love math, but I'm going to take it to history for just a quick second. Okay. Because I want to talk about how monetary policy and fiscal policy works in our country. Because by talking about that, then we can plug in everything that's happening. Is that okay with you? Yes. I think okay. that sounds great. All right. Perfect. So... The first bank of our, in our nation, the first central bank, was in 1791. It was chartered for just 20 years because people didn't like the idea of a, a large central government or a large central bank. Why? Of course, because we came from Great Britain. Okay? And so there, the, the overarching control that Great Britain held over the colonists was really so fresh in their minds. Mm-hmm that they were not interested in a central bank. They wanted the states to have autonomy and they wanted themselves to have autonomy. So it was chartered for 20 years from 1791 till 1811. What happened in 1812? The War of 1812. So between 1811 and 1815, um, inflation was ridiculous. It was like 13%. Okay. And so they came back to the drawing board and said, all right, let's try again. So then they had the second bank but it was run by a man who really did not have the highest of scruples and he lent (laughs) to like family members, but not to people he should have. He just really mismanaged it. So after 20 years, again, it, that was the end of it. And people were like, we're done with this. So fast forward to 1907, two guys decided that they wanted to control the copper industry. And so they took funds from their bank and misappropriated them to try to take over the copper industry. The bank, fell apart. 
The stock market, the New York Stock Exchange, dropped 50 basis points, or 50%, I'm sorry, the value of the stocks dropped 50%, and, and people panicked. There was a run on the banks. What does that mean? It means that everybody said, oh my gosh, I've got $100,000 in the bank, I want it. Yes. So they all rushed to the bank to get their money, and of course, banks don't carry all that money. They use it, they invest it, they lend it out to mm -hmm. people, that's how they stay afloat. And so the entire banking world was on the verge of collapse. So the powers that be at that time went to JP Morgan and, and begged him to come help. He had very deep pockets. Of course, he was a banker. So he infused a ton of money to um, people who were willing to lend. There was actually a place at the New York Stock Exchange. He sent money there. He got other industrialists to help as well. And they floated the whole banking industry. Wow. To be until the panic passed. So then the federal government said, we're not too excited about one man being responsible for our banking system. And that's when the Federal Reserve was born. Okay. So when you hear us talking about the feds, we're talking about the central bank of the United States of America. Okay. So it was founded um, right before Christmas, and I think it was in 2013. And so what we have now is we have Congress controlling fiscal policy. So when you hear the term fiscal policy, that's um, taxes and how money is spent, kind of like the budget. Mm -hmm. When you hear monetary policy, that's what the Fed does. That's what the Federal Reserve does, okay? And the Federal Reserve has two key mandates, to achieve maximum unemployment and to keep prices stable. Okay. So in the Fed, there are a number of power players. We won't go into the whole structure of the Fed, but they vote on different policies, and some of them are more focused on unemployment, and some of them are more focused on inflation. And so that's how they make decisions. Now, the Fed has probably, I would say, three main tools to control or help the economy. They're like a puppet master, and they have little strings that they pull to try to keep the economy stable. Okay. And so the first is the federal funds rate. Okay, so when the market crashed in 09, uh, the feds kind of jumped in and they dropped the federal funds rate because they were trying to spur the economy that was really on the edge of ruin. And so they dropped the federal funds rate. So since 09, the federal funds rate's been basically at zero. And they did that to spur the economy. Yeah. Now we had several other brushes with recession, but they couldn't drop the federal funds rate below zero. How are you going to yeah. do that, right? <laughs> okay. And so they use their second um, tool, which is called, and this is going to be a, a key word. I'm going to talk about it a lot because it's confusing and it doesn't make sense. Okay. Okay. So it's not something where you go, oh, I know exactly what that means. So it's called quantitative easing. Okay. So think about okay. it like a stagecoach driver um, with his horses. If he eases up on the reins, the horse can go faster. So quantitative easing is a method to speed up the economy. Okay. Okay. Think about it as well, when you drop your reins, they get closer to the ground, okay? Which animal is on the ground, a dove or a hawk? A dove, of course. So somebody who is interested in speeding up the economy with the idea of um, helping reduce unemployment, that, that's called a dove, okay. okay, in the Fed. So you might hear somebody referred to as a dove, okay? And that's somebody who's interested, like I said, in, in helping with unemployment. Okay. And so that quantitative easing, how do they do that? What do they do? They infuse money in the economy. So if I buy that pillow over there from you and I give you a dollar, now you can go spend a dollar. Yes. That's what the feds do. They buy treasuries or they buy bonds, bonds. And we'll talk about that in a minute. 
And the purpose of doing that is to spur the economy. Okay. So the opposite of quantitative easing is quantitative tightening. Okay, we're pulling back on the reins. Now the horse is gonna slow down. Okay. okay. And that person's called a hawk. So back when you pull your reins up, you know, the horse slows down. Okay. So quantitative tightening is the selling off of bonds. Okay. Okay. Or they call it um, letting them run off the books. I'll explain what that means in, in just a little bit. So what that does when there's quantitative tightening, they sell off bonds, which reduces sort of the demand for them because the art, the government is creating an artificial demand when they're buying them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when there's a high demand for a bond, the interest rate isn't, doesn't have to be high because the investor is already interested. And we'll talk about that in just kind of a, a few minutes more, but, but the, it, it has a direct impact on inflation and on, on interest rates as well. Okay. And then I'll hit really quickly on, you, you hear about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. We'll talk about them a little bit more. Um, but uh, Fannie Mae was chartered by Congress in 1938 with a purpose to make um, affordable housing available to people. Okay. So it's such an important role that they play so that we can have equity, of course. Mm -hmm. But also prior to that time, it was really hard to get a loan. You had to have a huge down payment. You had to pay it off in a very short period of time. It was really an unattainable goal for so many people. And so that was the purpose of Fannie Mae. But then when the market crashed, the government said, you guys aren't doing your job right. Mm -hmm. And so they sort of took over. And so those uh, entities, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, they're under conservatorship. So if you think about our dear friend, Britney Spears, okay? Okay. She's been under a conservatorship. Now I'm like, ah, oh, I get it. Okay, now you get what it means. So <laughs> what does that mean? It means that, okay, Britney can't handle her money. Mm -hmm. She's not responsible. So her dad stepped in to help, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's a whole nother su subject. So we don't need to delve into that too much. But do you imagine that her dad was delighted when she stopped being under his conservatorship? No. Probably not, because now he lost control, control. of. So mm -hmm. at this point, Fannie and Freddie have paid back the money that was used to bail them out, okay? But, and so there's a lot of talk about how they should no longer be under conservatorship. They're managing themselves very well, mm -hmm. okay? But the federal government, as you can imagine, Doesn't is not happily just, you know, letting yes. them get off and start running on their own again. So that's something to kind of be paying attention to, okay. to see, is that going to happen? Okay. Um, other things at stake there, but we, we won't get into those as well. Okay. Okay. But Fannie and Freddie control mortgage interest rates. That's what's so interesting. Like as, as a consumer, as I talk to your, you know, our, our podcast listeners, as a consumer, it's not a smart move to call your lenders to find out who's got the cheapest rate. Yeah. Because we all are playing on the same exact playing field. You want a lender who is trustworthy, communicates well, and is going to fit you in the best loan product because there's so many other factors than just rates. Yeah. There's, there's fees, there's your own personal finances, and they play into the strategy that your lender is going to use to, to help save you money, not just today, not just at the closing table, not just every month, but is going to have a vision for the long term. So what, what do I mean by that? Fannie and Freddie control interest rates by having what we call loan level price adjustment. So in the, in the industry, we call them LLPAs. Okay. So what does that mean? It means that the, as you bring risk to the table, you pay for that risk. Mm -hmm. Okay. So somebody with bad credit, you pay for it with a little bit higher interest rate. You're bringing risk to the lender. And so you, the, you have to compensate for, for it, right? Yeah. Low or no down payment. You pay for it with a little bit higher interest rate, uh, damaged credit. Maybe you're in an FHA loan that has a funding fee. 
Okay. So, but the loan level price adjustments, a condo, a little bit higher mm -hmm. risk to the lender. So that rate goes up, uh, an investment property, a second home. And so the interesting thing about Fannie and Freddie is that they can change the parameters for, for loans anytime they want to, but the loan level price adjustments, that's what brings you to the interest rate that's is available to you or the interest rates that are available to you. Cause of course you can buy down rates or, you know, do any number of things. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so that's what the federal government did after, after 09. So it, in now you have a good idea of, of the Fed. Does that yes. help a little yes, bit? Yes, that okay. does. That does. All right. So now, now we can talk a little bit about stocks and bonds. Is that okay? okay if, if I yeah. finally answer your question, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yes. Now you can answer <laughs> that question. Answer. No. <laughs> All right. So I think stocks and bonds are fascinating and they're almost like the yin and the yang. Okay. okay. So they're very similar to one another, but they almost compete against one another. Okay. So a stock is ownership in a company. Okay. I personally own Apple. Okay. Got a teeny, 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 tiny sliver <laughs> of Apple, but I own Apple, right? Own Apple. That's a stock. When you buy a stock, you buy a portion of a company. Yeah. A bond is different. It's a way a company or the government raises capital without giving away ownership. You, the bond owner are the lender now to the federal government or to you know, the school system when they want to build a new school or to a company. Okay. As a bond owner, you are a lender. Okay. So bonds are considered less risky for a number of reasons because you're guaranteed to get your money back. Whereas with a stock, if I own stock in a company and it goes belly up, I lose everything. Yeah. But with a bond, they have to pay me back. Number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, they pay me interest along the pay way. With interest. Yeah. Okay. And then number three, they have what's called a liquidation preference. That means that as a company or the government, they have to pay me back as a bond owner before they pay back the stockholder. Okay. okay? So that's why you hear the idea that bonds are safer than stocks. Okay. okay. That's why a bond generally has a lower return on investment than a stock does because a stock carries higher risk. risk. So exactly like the concept of a risky borrower has a higher interest rate. The same thing applies here. Okay. okay? So it's, it's makes perfect sense, you know? And so, um, here's my analogy for stocks and bonds. Okay. And most of my analogies involve football players in high school. And I don't know why but <laughs> we're going to go there. So it's kind of like, um, the stock market and the bond market is like a high school dance and the stocks are the sexy smoking hot girls. Okay. Okay. So all the guys, of course, want to be with the sexy girls. Yeah. So the bond girls, that's the girl next door. She's a sweetheart, but she's a little homely. Yeah. So she's got to put out a little to get some attention. I mean, <laughs> bake cookies, of okay. course. Yes. Put on a little lipstick. She's got to do something to attract um, the, the investors. Yeah. So when, when does that happen? It happens in a very strong economy, when the stock market's doing great, sometimes you see interest rates on the bond market go up because they have to, to get that attention they need to get investors to come buy them. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, when something happens in the world and there's instability, what happens when a guy loses confidence? He doesn't go after the smoking hot girl because she might reject him. He, he goes, goes back safer. to the safety of the bond market. Yeah. Okay. She's, he knows she's going to love him, right? Yeah. So she doesn't have to bake cookies. She's already got the attention. So sometimes when there's unrest in the world, you see a, a kind of a, a swing and okay. bond interest rates go down. Okay. And why am I talking about bonds when it comes to homes? Because we have um, a major player in the bond market, which is mortgage-backed securities. A mortgage-backed security is essentially a big bale of hay, each strand of hay being a mortgage. Yeah. And they're, they're bailed together in like form, 
Okay. So when, as a, as a, as a consumer, you might want to watch and see what the rates are looking like in the bond market, because those very, very closely parallel what's happening with interest rates. It's not identical. They're, you know, they, they move around each other, but usually they sort of fall in line with one another. Okay. So that's, that's what I was, I wanted to ask, how does that affect mortgage rates or... Yeah. So it, it, and again, we're at a really complex time because we also have the machinations of the feds behind the scenes. So I, I can't even remember if I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but one thing the feds are talking about doing, and I'll, I'll kind of back up in 09, that was a massive crisis yeah. for our whole financial system and for our housing market. It was a really big deal. And so to stabilize the market, not only did the feds lower the federal funds rate, now the federal funds rate we'll talk about, I guess I'll talk about it right now, is essentially the rate that banks charge, the interest rate, they charge each other for overnight lending. Okay. So you come to the bank, you want your $100,000, I don't have it, oh my gosh, I gotta call my friend Lance over here at his bank and go, hey, can you send me $80,000, yeah. I need it for Camilla. He goes, sure, but you got to pay me this interest rate. Yeah. So back when there was the market crash, you know, or the, the panic um, on the bank, mm -hmm. the rush on the banks in, in uh, 1907, banks were charging each other crazy fees, yeah. up to 100% interest. Which, and again, so one of the things the feds do is that they regulate banks. Okay. And so the federal funds rate is, like I said, the rate they charge each other for overnight lending, and it has a direct correlation to short-term lending. Okay. So when the federal funds rate is at zero, people would call me and be like, why is my interest rate not zero? Because it's not the same thing. People yeah. didn't understand that. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it does affect your credit cards. It affects short-term loans like car loans. And it affects things like um, it, a little bit your, your, um, the interest you receive if you have money in a savings account. Okay. So if you have, especially an online savings account, those are great. They give you much better yield than say a Bank of America or like Wells Fargo because you, with the local banks with marble floors and brick walls, you have to pay for that. Yeah. So that's why you don't get much back. <laughs> but I just got an email from my online bank. Hey, we're gonna bump up your interest rate on, on your savings account. Oh, that's oh, nice. Yippee. It's because of what the Fed, the Fed's raised their rate. Then the bank says, hey, now we can give you know, the people who have money in savings, we can give them a little more higher. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. So, so that's what's, what's going on there. Does okay. that all make sense? Yes. Um, yeah. And it, it does eventually trickle down, but um, to mortgage rates, but that's kind of the difference there. Okay. Okay. Makes sense? Yes. So what is going on with inflation? Okay. And how is that affecting mortgage rates? Okay, great. So, Great, great question. So um, inflation has been at about 2% for or under for a very, very long time. And in recent, you know, this last few months, this last year, it's been starting to creep upward mm -hmm. to the point where now it's the highest it's been in 40 years at, you know, eight, somewhere in eight and a half percent. It's very high. What is inflation? Mm -hmm. Inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. Now in your industry as a real estate agent and an excellent one, you face it every day. Yeah. Okay. Too many dollars chasing too few goods. Yes. In your world, what does it mean? There's one house yes. in this prime neighborhood for sale. Yeah. And there's 71 people that want it. Yeah. Okay. So what does that do to the price of our homes? It increases them. Yes. Okay. That's what causes inflation. 
Okay. Now, very, very similarly, we're talking a little bit about how, uh, like a housing shortage, mm -hmm. but there's also shortages that are were brought about by COVID. Yes. Okay. What happened Materials. in COVID? Um, first of all, people don't know this, but before COVID even happened, we were facing some equipment shortages when it came to manufacturing. Mm -hmm. But manufacturing essentially stopped. Okay. And um, and then when COVID subsided. There was a massive restocking or desire to restock shelves, okay? And people are still a little bit, I think, buying out of panic, mm -hmm. okay? But most manufacturing um, companies, let's say, you know, a factory that makes toilet paper, they, they manufacture at about 100% capacity. Otherwise, they're wasting money. Yeah. So when there's a surge, it t there's a lag time. They can't really produce more than 100%, right? Yes. So they have to build out more to be able to do it, number one. Number two, people didn't come back to work as expected yes. after COVID. And so they were unable to ramp up as yes. much as they could. Yeah. Uh, China is still being impacted by COVID. A lot of our products come from China. Mm -hmm. And as you know, there's a, there's a bottleneck of ships off the coast of California, the, yeah. the, the port of Los Angeles is where 40% of our imports come from, okay, in the country, yeah. okay? And where normally there's two or three ships off the coast, um, as of December, there were almost 100 ships just sitting crazy. off the coast. Yeah. Now we're down to about 70. <laughs> and the easy answer is, oh my gosh, hire more truck drivers. Well, it's not really the problem. Yeah. Well, get some people, get more, you know, stevedores yes. to unload the boat. And I'm just so happy to be able to use the word stevedore today. <laughs> It's one of my favorite words. You know, get more stevedores to unload the cargo. No, nope. yeah. the Port of Los Angeles is packed full. And part of it is that they were lacking the chassis to remove, the, because it, they, they use a tool, I think it's called a chassis, to okay. remove the cargo ship, um, the, the boxes okay. from the cargo ships. They're massive. It's fascinating if you've ever been to a shipyard. And they take them off the ship and then they put them on a truck and then off it goes. Okay. Right? And so... That bottleneck is is causing a slowdown of products getting to market. And again, what do we have? Too many dollars chasing too few goods. Yes. Okay. And then let's add oil prices. It's just simply costing more for, um, and that's, again, part of the whole COVID thing. During COVID, oil prices actually went into the negative. Yeah. They were like giving it away, yeah. right? And so that's the pendular swing again. Yeah. And so that's one thing I think always to remember. It's easy to panic when we see crazy things happening, but nothing ever stays forever. Yeah. You know, it's going to come back, yeah. you know, and they, they do anticipate actually that the shipping should be back up in to normal, you know, in the normal realm in 2023. Um, and I forgot to mention, it used to take about 40 days for a ship to get from China to Los Angeles. Now it's taking 75 to 80. Okay. Just due to other delays. So there's, we're just seeing delays. It's, it's like a compound effect. A hundred percent. It's nothing simple. And, and, and it's, it's, it's just complex. And there are so many things that, that factor into what we're seeing with, with it. Um, uh, the net, there's just the whole network backup, you know? Yeah. But for the consumer, of course, the impact is inflationary. Um, manufacturers or even stores, they can't absorb the cost of, of how much, you know, of the transportation. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing they prices go up to that. Right. Yeah. And so that's what happens. So, at the, and, and then let's talk about Ukraine. I didn't even think about that. So yeah. the war with Ukraine, Ukraine, as you know, is the breadbasket of Europe. They produce a tremendous amount of grain. But what many people don't know is that they produce, they're the number one producer of sunflower oil in the country. Oh, wow. I didn't and, know that. Which is maybe, I, I can probably live without sunflower yes. oil, you know. But 
They're also the biggest producer. They produce 70% of the world's neon. Now we're not in the 70s, so we don't have neon signs everywhere. <laughs> but if you want a semiconductor, you gotta have neon. And so it, that is causing some problems as well. Okay. And so the shortage is there. And then, you know, it's we're a global economy. Yes. Taiwan produces most of those semiconductors. You know, so any issues that we have over there with COVID, it's gonna impact um, how we're able to pull things together. So again, shortages causing inflation. What happens? Interest rates go up mm -hmm. as well. Why do interest rates go up when there's inflation? Can I tell you that? Do you know yes. that? Okay. Why do they? All right. So when you buy, let's say, a 30-year mortgage, okay. okay, let's say you, and we, nobody buys one mortgage, but let's yeah. just pretend you are. It's like I'm giving you a huge amount of money. Let's just say $100,000, but okay. it's in a glass box and you can't use it. Okay. I'm going to give you a dollar a month. Okay, so I guess that means three hundred sixty dollars mortgage. Um, so I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to give you the money in slow increments. Okay. When inflation causes um, prices to go up, okay. the dollar that can buy, let's say, a banana today can't buy that banana tomorrow. The value of your money in your box is diminishing because it can buy less and less and less over time. time. Okay. Okay. And so inflate, we say inflation erodes the buying power of the dollar. So you as an investor who owns this mortgage-backed security, you're seeing yourself losing money, yeah. right? What can you do? Can you go back to the people who just bought that house and increase their interest rate? No. No. So how do you fix it? You have to go forward yes. and increase interest rates moving forward. Okay. Okay. So that's why when we see inflation go up, Interest, interest rates, rates go, go up. up. And so yes. that's really where we are right now. Okay. You know, interest rates are... Because they're basically trying to keep pace yes. with the cost of living. Yes, that's exactly okay. correct. That's okay. exactly correct. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what does the future look like for the economy mm -hmm. and rates, um, in your opinion? I, I, it's, it's such a complicated question. And, and I'm going to sort of answer with a non-answer because okay. I, I, I don't really know. Yeah. You know? But I can tell you that there are some really key indicators that a recession is on the horizon. Okay. I would say probably four okay. that I can think of. Um, number one, consumer spending is a drag on the economy. Okay. Okay. Or, or consumer debt. All right. What do I mean by that? If I have debt, I've spent tomorrow's dollar already okay. today. Okay. I can't spend it again tomorrow. So that slows down the economy. Okay. Okay. So that's number one. And I will say one of the side benefits of COVID, it's interesting how good comes out of bad situations. Mm -hmm. If you look for it, you can find it. And one thing is that between 2020 and 21, um, consumer debt went down 12%. Yeah. So that's actually that's a really good thing. Um, but number two, whenever you see a sp spike in the oil prices, that tends to be a good indicator of a recession. Okay. Okay. Number three, closer. and here's kind of a weird one. When you see unemployment hit the bottom mm -hmm. of the roller coaster and begin to tick up again, mm -hmm. that's an, a very reliable indicator of a recession. hundred percent of the time it's led to a recession. Okay. And that's a little counterintuitive, but it's kind of like, obviously you can't grow forever. Yeah. Right. After spring, yeah. you've got summer, then fall, then winter. So yeah. there's a cyclical aspect to all of this. Yeah. Okay. And that's maybe the good news. Nobody should panic. It's going to pass. Life yeah. Change, you know, but as a business, you know, ends, ends, ends the um, sort of growth phase and slows down a little bit. What do they sometimes do? They start to lay off people yeah. so that they can stay afloat. Yeah. Well, when I lay somebody off, 
it's going to change their spending habits. Mm -hmm. They're going to stop spending. Yes. When they stop spending, their neighbors stop spending, yeah. right? And so that that tends to lead to a recession. Okay. Okay. As as money stops, you know, being infused into the economy. Okay. And then finally, this one we hear about, and hopefully, well, I'll explain what it is. You've heard of an inverted yield curve, correct? Yes. Okay. What's an inverted yield curve? So a yield is the interest rate you're getting. That's the yield. Yeah. Okay. An inverted yield yield curve is when instead of your well, let me ask you: if if I offer you the opportunity to buy a thirty-year loan or a fifteen-year loan, which is riskier? Which is riskier? Mm -hmm. The thirty-year loan, right? Because you have to wait thirty yeah, full years. To, yeah. How am I going to reward you for I get choosing a that better interest rate on the 15 as the year. investor? No, and as the investor, you get a better interest rate, a higher interest rate, a higher yield on the thirty-year because yeah. you're taking on more risk. Yes. Right. Yeah. So historically, let's say, f maybe I'll just use recent history. In the last few years, maybe four or five years ago, um, the, the difference between the 30-year interest rate and the 15 was like a full point, mm -hmm. okay, 1%. Okay, we sometimes call those basis points. So 1% is 100 basis points, yeah. okay? So, but we've seen that begin to get compressed. You hear about a compressed yield curve. That means the difference between those two is is, is minimized. It's it's getting smaller, and so nowadays it's uncommon. I don't do a lot of fifteen year mortgages because the reward for my client is not that, great. that great. They don't get yes. that much you know, better of an interest rate. So why take on that risk? Yeah, and so, why spend, why not keep that money right in your pocket mm -hmm. or invest mm -hmm. it somewhere else? Sure. Okay. Uh, which is another complicated subject. Yeah. We'll discuss that on a future <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Look at me inviting myself back. Um, so what we saw last, let's say, August was about 160 basis point, basis point difference between, I think it was the two-year and the 10-year treasury. And then as of December, it was down to 90. A few months ago, it was 60. Mm -hmm. A few weeks ago, it was 18 basis points. So when they invert, that's when we see a recession. Okay. Now, it is important to note that there are a lot of different matrices you can study. Okay, the 10 and the two year treasury are the most common, but the, the 30 year and the 20 year were inverted briefly, I think a week or two ago. Um, and, and there's another you know, couple, I think the seven year and the five year, I can't remember if that's exactly one, but they inverted, you know, so there's a number that you can look at, yeah. a number of matrices that you can look at for that. Um, but at the end of the day, when there's a recession, mortgage rates tend to drop. Okay. Okay. But remember our friends, the feds. Yes. What do they do when there's a recession? They infuse money into the economy. We call yes. that quantitative easing. Yes. Don't forget. Okay. By, by buying bonds. Okay. Now at the end of the day, now they're not doing that, right? We're yeah. taught, we're hearing them say, we're going to sell it off or we're going to run it off. What's a runoff? This is when you go to the grocery store and I'm the grocer okay. and I have 15 jars of peanut butter and I have them on my inventory list and you buy two jars of peanut butter. If I don't buy them, I've allowed them to run off my books. Okay. That's a runoff. Yeah. So it's, it's not really selling the mortgage backed securities, yeah. but it's allowing them to mature. And like, as, as I get paid back my money, okay, that 30 year loan is done. Check. Yeah. I, I'm not buying another one. Okay. Okay. So it's yep. like, I'm not buying that next jar of peanut butter. I'm just going to hold the money. Yes. So I'm not by, reinvesting. Right. Thank you. So by not reinvesting, 
I'm, I'm in a sense keeping money mm -hmm. from the economy, which okay. is going to cause a little bit of a drag on it. So instead of um, infusing money into the economy, they're talking about um, selling mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. Yeah. Okay. And I think I said this earlier, but in 09, the books were basically at zero. And now the federal government has about $9 trillion in treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. That's a very artificial help to the economy. Mm -hmm. Is our economy really strong? Well, and can they just keep buying mortgage-backed mm -hmm. securities forever? I don't think so. Yeah. So there are some people that say, yes, let them do that. Let's run off the books. Mm -hmm. Let's sell these mortgages so that we can maybe suffer through maybe a deeper recession, but finally get back to being truly healthy. Mm -hmm. Really complicated subject and probably way above my pay grade. Yeah. But that this is kind of a little bit of, of an overview that's, that's hopefully, okay. hopefully helpful. And, you know, just to put it in perspective, one million seconds is 11 and a half days. One billion seconds is 30 and three quarter years. Okay. One trillion seconds <laughs> is 31,710 years. A trillion is a huge number. Yes. So for them to have that much on the books, I think it represents the, you know, the, the, the money the rest of the world has. Yeah. It's a huge number. Yeah. So it's something to kind of um, be concerned about. But you know, what's interesting about the stock market is it's all numbers and math, right? And you yeah. just see guys with green visors you know, making decisions you know, yeah. based on the numbers. But the reality is the market is very much emotionally driven. So, mm -hmm. and you know that when Elon Musk says something, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. Dogecoin goes here, you know. Yeah. And it's very similar to that, that we see the same thing in the stock market. Yeah. When the Feds speak, I see the market move. Yes, you know, people respond. Very often then it kind of, there's a, it swings back, mm -hmm. you know. And so it doesn't tend to move super quickly, although in recent months, rates of a course have gone up pretty substantially. Yeah. So, um, so where, whereas I do see a recession, there's also just a, a huge question mark as to what are the feds going to do? Yeah. Are yeah. they going to keep hiking the federal funds rate? And why again, do they do that? They're hiking the funds rate to try to tamp down inflation. Yeah. Um, but that could cause us to have a deeper, you know, dive into recession. Yeah. And, and of course they're doing it normally. They raise the federal funds rate at a quarter of a point at a time. No, last time they did a half a point, and they're talking about doing it five more times this year. Yeah. So they're being very decisive in their actions, and that whether they keep doing it and how they do it is going to have a big impact, as well as again the war with Russia. So there's yeah. and COVID. Yeah. You know, there's just so many factors that it's very hard to predict. You know, but I, I do think it's, I do think a recession is probably strongly on the horizon, and. You know, for people listening to us mm -hmm. and for our many, many friends that are self-employed, I think it's it's helpful not just to know, okay, oh my gosh, a recession, but yeah. what do I do about it? Yeah. And so one of the things I would suggest, and of course, you know me very well, and so you hear me talk about this all yeah. the time, but it would be to get rid of your consumer debt. Yeah. And I, I'm not a believer that debt solves debt. Yeah. But if you have a ton of um, equity in a home, it may make sense to explore a cash out refinance. Yeah. And with somebody that is going to tell you if it makes sense or doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, that somebody who's really going to look at your whole financial picture. And so, and just to get rid of 
get rid of credit card debt because yeah. as the feds raise their federal funds rate, like I said, it's going to have an impact on your short term. Those interest rates will right. be going up Absolutely. as well. And then number two, make sure you have a fully funded emergency fund, yeah. especially as anybody out there self-employed, you, me, don't play with that. You know, it's like Murphy comes knocking yeah. when you're not prepared, you <laughs> yeah. know? So those were those would be two things I would highly suggest. And if anybody needs help with that, of course, I'm well I welcome a call. I'll help anybody who needs it. Okay. So um okay, so with all of that, mm -hmm. what do you think that means for the real estate market? Here's what's fascinating. What are your thoughts? <laughs> um and of course you're really the expert here, so I I, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. But people don't stop buying houses. Mm -hmm. They just don't. Mm -hmm. And people, and at the end of the day, I, I said this to our wonderful producer today, Lance, he's, he's such a dear. People don't want a mortgage. Nobody really wants a mortgage. Yeah. You know, it's very hurtful to me. But, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, in a sense, people don't really want a house. Yeah. What they really want is security. Yeah. And they want stability. Yeah. And they want to sleep well at night. Mm -hmm. They want strong marriages and strong families and strong communities. And they want peace. Yeah. So interest rates, eh, whatever, they're yeah. going to, they're going to fluctuate here and there. And yeah. here's, here's really the proof of the pudding. Yeah. In 1980, I think it was, the interest rate was 16.83%. Mm -hmm. That was the average interest rate. Can you imagine? <laughs> I can't even imagine how our parents did That's it. like crazy. A bad credit card rate. Like horrible, horrible. <laughs> so at the end of that decade, and by the way, the eighties is the greatest decade of all for music. I'm just going <laughs> to say it out loud. Those were some good times. But at the end of the, the, the decade, people were dancing in the streets because interest rates went down to 10%. <laughs> they were excited. Exactly. I mean, wouldn't you be yeah. eight, 16 to 10? So, so interest rates really, people were just, yeah. they, they came, people were buying houses no matter what. Yeah. So since 1990, I would say that the average interest rate has been about 5%. Mm -hmm. And right now, truthfully, we're in the mid fives. Mm -hmm. And with things happening, I don't see them really changing. But mm -hmm. what I do see is potentially appreciation slowing a little bit in our area. Yeah. You know, we're obviously we're not in a bubble. You can't be in a bubble with a housing shortage. Yeah. Appreciation is super strong in our area because of many other factors, including yes. tons of people moving here from all over the country, as yes. you know, and a lot of millennials and young people entering the market for the first time. Yep. Um, but what, here's what I find to be interesting. In February of last year, the interest rate was about 3%, just yeah. a shade over 3%. This past February, it was about 4.5%. Yeah. And nothing changed. Days on market actually went down two yes. days from 20 to 18 days. Yeah. Um, the number of investors stayed almost exactly the yes. same. The number of first-time buyers stayed exactly the same. Yeah. So people are going to buy houses no, no matter what. Yes. Um, and what I would say to consumers, especially who don't own homes, is get a home <laughs> if you can, <laughs> or talk to me and get a plan what together. What are you waiting for? Right. And here's why, because even if appreciation slows, it's continuing, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and owning real estate is a very, very smart diversification plan for, as a piece of your financial portfolio, yeah. because we're in a strong market. It's not gonna stop. With yeah. COVID, everybody realized, oh my gosh, I can work from home. Yeah. And so people are moving from expensive areas to our area, and there's a certain right-sizing of the economy. Yeah. And I'm, I have a special heart, as you do, for our first-time homebuyers mm -hmm. and for our young people. 
And I talk to them all the time, please come talk to me, mm -hmm. because I don't want them to wait so long that they can't get a house. Yes. And kind of one of my poster children would be my own son. I called him three years ago. I said, John, you got to buy a house. He goes, what? He's like, why? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and great, excellent young man. He's like, all right. So he bought a house yeah. for $160,000. He yeah. came over the other day. He goes, mom, somebody just came over to my house and offered me $325,000 yes. for my house. Yes. You know, so here's a young kid in his 20s with $150,000 in equity. Mm -hmm. You can't beat that. Yes. You know, and he's paying his own mortgage instead of somebody else's. Yes. So I would say that would be a passion yeah. of mine to get the word out to young people just thinking about dipping their toe in the pool. Find a team you can trust. I think I know a couple of people. <laughs> and, you know, and and surround yourself with a trusted team and 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 figure this out with with, you know, you don't have to figure it out yourself. Yeah. You know, that's what I would say.